something about power, right? Uh, and you saw a whole lot of different examples of power from, uh, from our lives today. Whoever has the most power wins, right? Tornado versus tree, tornado wins. Uh, nuclear bomb versus city, bomb wins. Luke Skywalker versus the dark side, well, it takes a while, like seven movies worth, but at some point, Luke Skywalker wins, right? Uh, since we love being on the winning side, uh, we tend to gravitate toward power. I think, though, in spiritual circles, uh, maybe we've we've shied away from uh, the concept of power and and strength. Um, we we read in scripture that we need to be nice to people and and we need to turn the other cheek and we need to take care of people's needs and we need to serve and and all of those things kind of don't really have the connotation of uh, of power. And strength, but the Apostle Paul, in this letter to the Romans, uh, we started this sermon last last week. As we as we uh, kick off this uh, this this uh, letter that he wrote to this church in Rome, uh, Paul highlights something so powerful that we have to take notice. I, it really has made all the difference in Paul's life and in his ministry and in his preaching. It's the essence. It's the core of of his entire message to uh, to the, the 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 people in Rome. This this church in Rome. We'll keep coming back to it throughout this study over and over again. Uh, in the in the first chapter of this great letter, we see something so powerful that it changes lives more than atomic bombs or nuclear fusion or electricity. Paul says that the gospel is literally the power of God. Verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1 are really uh, the, the thesis of the whole rest of the letter. He kind of spells out in a, in a nutshell what he's going to be unpacking over the next 16 chapters. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The people in this uh, church that Paul is writing to certainly knew something about power. The power of Rome. Uh, we, we talked a, a lot last week, maybe more at length than what you wanted me to, but uh, talked a lot about this church in Rome and the, the culture where they lived. And, and, and they, they, they knew that this empire, the Roman Empire, had secured uh, peace uh, through its power, uh, through its might. Uh, it had spread throughout the, uh, the, the, the region, the Roman Empire. And uh, maybe you remember from history class somewhere uh, the, the term Pax Romana, the, the, the peace of Rome, uh, literally was uh, was 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 because of their might and their strength and their power, there was peace throughout the land. Uh, just looking around the city, uh, seeing the paved roads and the large buildings and the artwork and, and the architecture and seeing and hearing the conquests of the Roman army and navy, uh, seeing criminals and enemies uh, of the empire uh, literally hanging on crosses throughout the empire, uh, the people of this church in Rome knew about the power of Rome. They were Romans. They lived in the hub of power, political power, military power, physical power, intellectual power. It was all right there. They were part of it. They were surrounded by it. And in the face of all that secular power, one might shy away from talking about spiritual power. It it might sound a little silly. As one author put it, a carpenter from Galilee posed a problem as the savior of the world. Uh, 
all this power uh, would 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 seem to be so much uh, bigger and greater than this uh, this this carpenter from Galilee, Jesus, this obscure prophet from uh, from an obscure corner of the empire who was crucified was nothing compared to the power of Rome. Elsewhere, Paul acknowledged that the spiritual truths that he, that he preached were sometimes misunderstood, sometimes even ridiculed. In First Corinthians one, he says that they are a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But in the face of all that secular power of Rome, Paul was daring enough to proclaim that he wasn't backing down. And he says here, again, what is really the essence, the core, the foundation of the entire letter, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel that I've been preaching. Uh, Paul wasn't concerned with the power of government, the power of ideas, uh, the, the power of technology, the power of armies. He's writing about the power of God. And the power of God, he said, is nothing to be ashamed of. Now, I have to admit, there have been times in my life, more times than I care to think about, when I have been, for lack of a better term, ashamed of the gospel. I've shied away from talking about my faith or bringing up spiritual issues. I would guess if we took a poll today, I'm not the only one. But maybe I am. Maybe I'm just sharing myself. But uh, the, the, the conversation starts to go that way. Uh, you've seen, seen an opening to bring something up uh, spiritually. Maybe you've even anticipated. Maybe you've gone into that conversation saying, I, I wonder if I could talk about uh, God here. I wonder if I could talk about my faith and how God has helped me. In that. And, and, and But then, you know, you get into it and I know, at least for me, I've changed the subject or I turn things around and, 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 and don't speak up and then the moment is lost. Why have I done that? Sometimes, I guess I think, uh, I guess I've thought that it, that it just might sound silly in the moment, right? When I, when I start to think it through or, or try to explain my faith to someone, I, I think, well, this might not make sense to, ah, they're just gonna think, oh, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they might think it's a little strange that I'm, that I'm basing my life on, on faith in a God that I've never seen, who revealed himself to humanity through a man who, who lived 2,000 years ago and ended up being martyred on a Roman cross. Uh, but I believe that he's not dead, that he rose from the dead. And at times, I have to say that a dead carpenter from Galilee still poses a problem as the savior of the world. It's a message that still sounds a lot like foolishness to some people especially in the context of our modern lives. Uh, we're, we're not much different than that Roman church in the hub of power, technology and art and science and intellectualism and humanism, the power of the society around us. And I, and I think in, in those moments of weakness, when I found myself ashamed of the gospel, the crux of the issue really is, well, why, why would that be? Why is it? Well, it really is, if you boil it all down, get right down to it, I haven't really believed that the gospel truly is the power of God. If, if we believed that, that, that God is all-powerful and has done everything we need for salvation, that God has done everything we need to make us holy, that the good news about Jesus and his love for us literally transforms lives because it is the power of God, if we really believed that, we would never be ashamed of it again. But sometimes, if we are ashamed of or we shy away from proclaiming the power of God, the, the gospel, it's because we don't really believe that it is the power of God. 
Even in the face of the, the hub of the entire Roman Empire, which seemed to be getting along quite well without the power of God, by the way, right? They had their own power. Uh, but, but Paul was, was, uh, was not about to back down because he had experienced the power of the gospel for himself, both in his own life and in the lives of the people that he'd encountered in his travels, in his missionary travels throughout the empire. Paul had, had seen demons cast out. Paul had, 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 uh, had seen these, these demons submit to the power of God in the name of Jesus. He'd seen earthquakes result from prayer meetings. Paul had, had been protected from death as people rioted against this message that he was proclaiming. Uh, Paul had, had heard the, the encouragement of God himself when things looked bleak and, and he, he, it seemed like the message of God was falling on deaf ears and, and God literally encouraged and strengthened him. Paul had seen God's power literally raise the dead. I, maybe you remember the story. The sermon just went on and on and on and the guy fell out the window because he fell asleep and he died. And Paul raised him, God's power through Paul, raised him from the dead. Paul had experienced the power of God. And none of all, none of that, the miracles and things, compared to the transformations in lives that Paul had seen in town after town, city after city, as people submitted their lives to Jesus. Not the least of which was his own transformation. Paul knew firsthand who he had been and how he had been persecuting the church. And Jesus literally, through the power of God, changed him from persecutor to preacher. And he'd been changed from the inside out. And he was not about to be intimidated by the power of Rome because he removes all doubt here. It wasn't that he hadn't come to Rome because he was intimidated by it. He had been traveling around and now he's heading toward Rome. He says, you know what, it's not that I haven't come because I'm intimidated by Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. And I believe that with all of my heart, he says. The word used here for power is uh, is the Greek word dynamis. Uh, you can probably guess, and I guess you don't have to guess because it's right there on the screen, uh, that, that uh, it's the root word uh, where we get our word dynamite or dynamic. Literally, we could read this phrase, and this is cool. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the dynamite of God. <laughs> I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the dynamite of God. The gospel is explosive. It's mighty. It's dynamic. The gospel is the power of God. If we can be convinced of that, if that settles down in our souls, then we'll never be ashamed of it again. Yeah, on the surface, the, the story might sound uh, crazy to some people. And, and in the face of, of everything that, that society might hold up, we go, well, this doesn't really. But, but if we can recognize that, you know what? No, this, it is the power of God. It literally transforms and changes lives from the inside. This is the power of God. If we can get that, then we will be an unstoppable force in the, in the world where we live. But it's not just power for power's sake. We saw a lot of, a lot of examples there in that, uh, that little video of, of different kinds of power and, and how people exert power over other people and, and different things have huge power and, and, uh, and all those kinds of things. But it's not just power for power's sake. There's a purpose to the power. And Paul, uh, literally in these two dynamic, powerful, explosive, dynamite verses, uh, explains what that is. First of all, the power of God in the gospel brings salvation, it says. Salvation is a, is a major, major theme throughout this entire letter. The, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to save us. Uh, as we walk through this book, we'll see that humanity has a problem. It, it's called sin, and it has ruined everything. And although at times it sounds good, it looks good, it, sin even feels good, sin doesn't end well. 
And sin has caused so many problems and pain and misery down through history. We don't have to go very far to see, man, we're, we're a mess. Sin has messed things up. And no matter how hard we try, we can't get away from it. In fact, it's a part of us. We have a sin problem. Therefore, we need to be saved from that problem of sin. And Paul says that in the gospel, the power of God intersects our lives and brings salvation. It can save us from the problem of sin. The gospel can take a sinner who is depraved in body, mind, and soul, spiritually dead with no thought of God, bound for eternal damnation in hell, and can actually fundamentally alter their course, cleansing from sin, raising them from, uh, raising them up to spiritual life in Jesus, and giving the promise of future glory in heaven for all eternity. That is the power of God for salvation. There's one of you that's paying attention. Just letting you know, this is good preaching, so you can, you can enter in. It's good. You can, you can like, Amen, and attaboy, God, preacher, and go for it, mister, and all that. Come on. Okay, you can sleep. Go ahead. Paul's going to go into the ins and outs of, of how all this works throughout the letter. This is just, uh, just kind of kicking it off, just, just a, a summary statement. But he's going to go, go into it later. Uh, uh, he's just introducing the subject here. There's an answer to the problem of sin, and it is the power of God in Jesus Christ to bring salvation. The power of God in the gospel. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation. The power of God brings salvation for everyone. It says, and that's the next distinction we need to see as we unpack this uh, this, this powerful phrase uh, that, that that Paul uses. It's a major distinction here, especially for these uh, the the Jews in Rome who would have believed that they were the chosen people of God, and the Gentiles were. Well, they were less than. Uh, Gentiles were anyone that wasn't Jewish. And, um, and, and Paul is bridging a gap here. He's already addressing an issue that he's seen before in many other churches as he's, as he's gone throughout the empire. And, and, and the Jews and Gentiles, he's seen it over and over again. He even grew up with it. He understands it. Uh, but he's, he's preaching against it. Jews and Gentiles don't play well together. Paul knew that. Paul, for years, had been a, a, a missionary specifically to Gentiles. He, he didn't want to alienate the Jews. He even says it here. Sure, it's the Jews first. Uh, the Jews were uh, the, the people of God, and, and Jesus was, was Jewish and all those things. But it's also to the Gentiles, he says. God loves every person, even Jews, even Gentiles, even you, even me. His power to save is not just an exclusive thing. It extends to everyone. Christianity has been accused at times of being narrow-minded, closed-minded, exclusive. Oh, you guys think you've got all the answers and you're exclude and you're just this narrow-minded thinking. People said that followers of Jesus are intolerant of other beliefs, that they're not open to everyone. We we, we turn people away. That is a very misguided notion that has twisted the very foundation of who Jesus is. Following Jesus is the most inclusive thing you can ever be a part of. It is open to everyone. The gospel is the power of God for everyone. The power to save from sin has been extended to every person that has ever lived, every person that is living, every person that ever will live. It's the opposite of exclusive. The good news of the gospel has to to be accessible to all because it's needed by all. 
Because we've all sinned. We all have that sin problem. And so God offers his power in Jesus to everyone. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. The power of God also, we're going to jump to uh, verse 17. The power of God reveals the righteousness of God. Uh, as I told you last week, Martin Luther uh, had gotten hung up on the whole, uh, this whole concept of r- the righteousness of God. It sounded like this unattainable standard. God says uh, in Scripture many places that we need to be holy be, as he is holy, but, but, but we can't. And Luther had this, this uh, his experience was, man, the standard is just so high and I just can't reach it. I have no hope of living up to the standard of God's righteousness and holiness. But right in his introduction here, Paul says that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Two, two things to note in that. As he's saying, it reveals the righteousness of God. First of all, yes, it shows us God's righteousness. And, and we can read that to mean that there's a standard to attain, that, that, that God is righteous and we need to know that God is righteous. He is holy and, and that's, that's who, who he is and, and we need to, uh, that's the standard of righteousness. But it also shows in saying that, that in the gospel, the power of God has revealed the righteousness of, of God, meaning that it actually imparts the possibility of that righteousness to our lives too. This, this is really the secret sauce if we were going to get down to it. This is really what it's all about. Not only does Jesus save us from our sins, he sets us on a path to be righteous, to be holy. He enables us to live that out. Uh, Paul lays out his arguments over the length of this letter. And again, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of all this and how this works. But but we see the the, the truth spelled out plainly in, in these verses at the beginning. Jesus didn't just come in order to pay the penalty for our sin and then leave us to rot in it. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, you're going to have to deal with sin the rest of your life, but, but uh, you know, you can get to go to heaven someday. There, there's more to it, there's more to the abundant life with God than that. <laughs> Jesus came to set us apart to a righteous, holy life enabled by the power and the spirit of God himself. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Saves us from the problem of sin. It's for everyone, not just a few people, not just, just exclusive people, not just, not just these certain people that do these certain things. It's, it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. It reveals the righteousness of God. We can actually uh, live holy lives. God's righteousness is truly accessible even to us, but only through the power of God. But we skipped over one major thing that I, I, all of this rests on. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God, says it's truly accessible, that we can experience it. Uh, It says that it brings salvation to everyone. Uh, But how? How do we access the power of God? How can we possibly access uh, the the gospel for our own lives? I want us to think about power for a minute. Uh, it seems to me, as, as I've thought about it, that, that in our own lives, uh, personally, as we think about, maybe let's think about electricity and the, the power that we, that we, uh, rely on each, uh, each day, every, every day of our lives. We're relying on it right now, providing us, uh, uh, light and heat and, and, uh, everything else. Uh, it, we can either, there's two ways that we can get power, that we can access power in our daily lives. We either generate it or we purchase it, right? We, we either can make it ourselves or we, uh, we, we buy it from the power company, right? 
uh, most of us do the second one. We purchase it. Uh, there's a, we're, we're part of the, our electric lines in our house are, are hooked up somehow uh, underground or across the yard there, and they're hooked up to a pole there, and there's usually a transformer there that, that uh, then uh, is hooked up to the grid that is uh, in our area, and, and literally uh, the, uh, the, there's a, this complicated series of transformers and breakers and substations, and I don't know how it all works. All I know is that when I flip the switch on or hit the, the power on the remote, things happen, and it's magic, and it's awesome and wonderful and it's because I paid my bill right we usually don't think about it too much but we've purchased the right to use that power from the people who are generating it there are a few people and they're growing in number it seems these days who are living life off the grid right and they're generating their own power maybe they have solar panels go ahead with the uh, maybe this is you I don't know there it is. Maybe they've got the you got the wind turbine out in front yet? No, you're probably getting there though, right? You just want to get off the grid, go go uh, generate your own power, uh, solar panels, wind turbines, and maybe you just have a you have a generator. But a lot of you might have a backup generator in case the power goes out. Uh, but uh, the folks that are living off the grid, they're not relying on anyone else for their power. They're making it themselves, literally harnessing the power around them in order to use it. Now, neither of those examples is how we access power, the power of God for our lives. There is no way that we can generate enough power in our lives to save ourselves from the problem of sin. And, and again, uh, Paul is going to spell this out clearly. We, we have this problem. We are literally dead in our sins. And there is nothing, there's no amount of, of goodness that we can try to do that, uh, that will, will enable us to generate enough of our own power in order to free us from sin. So we need help. So then the, the next general thing, uh, general, uh, conclusion we would make, well, we need to, we need to buy it. We need to purchase enough power. We, we, so God has the power, right? We've said that. God has the power. What can I do in order to access God's power? How can I buy the power of God? How can I qualify in order to, to meet the requirements? Well, Paul says that we can't do that either. Because he said it's the power of God uh, for the salvation of those uh, who believe. Later he says it's the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith, is by faith from first to last. The righteous will live by faith. The power of God comes through faith. It comes to those who believe. From an early age, we're graded on our performance, right? We're, we're rewarded for, for the things that we do. You did this much work, you get a C. You did this much work, you get an A. Uh, your team scored more points, uh, they win the game. Uh, you earn the trophy. I guess every, everybody gets a trophy these days, though. I guess that's not a good example. Um, you did a, you did a great job on that proposal at work, so, uh, you're awarded the account, uh, to get a loan. They look at your, at your credit score and, and a bunch of other things and they see if you qualify, right? And, and you kind of submit all those things and then you're waiting and hoping that you qualify, that they think that you're good enough in order to extend money uh, so that you can buy that house or, or whatever it is. It's, it's how we're, we're used to life working that way. We do this, we get what we deserve. There are certain criteria that we need to meet, and, and once we meet those criteria, then we get the benefits for that. We don't meet that, we don't get it. We do meet it, we, we get it. It's, it's almost like a, a, a transaction. We're purchasing this or, or we're qualifying for that. 
And even in the church of, of Paul's day, that was the mentality, especially in the Jewish culture. There were certain rules, uh, laws to follow in order to please God. Righteousness was determined by adherence to the law. If you're following the law right, that means you're righteous. If you're missing the law in some way, then you're not as holy as the guy who is. Paul says that the gospel, the gospel that he's preaching, the gospel that is literally the power of God works a little differently. He says it's the power of God in the gospel. Uh, salvation and righteousness are offered to everyone who believes. It's a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The righteous will live by faith. There's nothing there about earning anything. It's just about believing. It's faith. The only qualification for us to access literally all of the power of God for salvation and righteousness is literally faith. If there were any other condition, if there were any other qualifier, then the gospel wouldn't be for everyone. If God required any work or any qualities uh, in someone's life in order uh, before they received the, the, the gospel, then, then some people would be excluded But there is one thing that everyone can do, and that is believe, have faith. The gospel Paul is preaching is not the power of God for those who jump through all the right hoops and do all good things and buy their way in in order to qualify for the gospel. It doesn't work that way. It comes by faith. And that's it. And this was, this was the crux of the issue, uh, for, for Martin Luther back, uh, in 1500. It was the core of the, the Protestant Reformation. Uh, the Catholic Church of that day required rules and regulations in, or, in order to earn a place of good standing with God. And, and literally, many times involved money and giving certain amounts to the church. And if you did, then you were considered righteous or in good standing with God in the church. Martin Luther, as he was convicted, Stemming from these two verses in Romans chapter 1, promoted the, the whole idea of sola fide, faith alone, the core of, of the reformation of the church. I, I, don't, I don't know if we are really catching the radical nature of all of this. Because yeah, I don't know if, you, if you're like me and grew up in the church, you've maybe heard all these things and maybe we just take it for granted. But everyone who believes literally leaves the door pretty wide open, right? I mean, that's that's dynamite. Uh, and we could talk about it now. We could talk about the people that we would want to close the door on uh, that that, that uh, this opens the door to. We could talk about people in history and say, well, they don't deserve to be saved. Well, no, they don't. But neither do you. I, I mean, this is uh, the, the, it's explosive to think that anyone must must simply believe, and he or she will receive all of the blessings of a relationship with God in Jesus. It's the power of God for salvation and righteousness, sins forgiven, life in heaven for anyone. It's not fair. Of course, it's not fair. It's faith from first to last. The righteous live. By faith. And if you've read through uh, Romans yet, I encourage you to do that, or at least read ahead a little bit. If you have read ahead at all, you'll know that things are going to get pretty dicey pretty fast as we go into next week and beyond. We're going to dive headlong into sin next week. Don't want to miss it. Come on back. Sin has a lot of consequences. The very next verse here, verse 18, says, The wrath of God is being revealed. 
And we're going to feel the thunder and the lightning of God's judgment against sin. And we'll realize that we have no right to stand before such a holy God. But before God reveals his wrath, here in verse 17, he reveals his righteousness. Uh, although we have no right in our own merit to experience any part of the salvation uh, that, that he offers, is extended to us simply through faith. Not only does that speak wonderful truth to sinners in need of grace and forgiveness, it also emphasizes that there is no one better than any other, that we are all recipients of God's gracious favor, that we all have an invitation to experience the power of God in the gospel. So where does that leave us? I think it leaves us in the best place possible. As you see up on the screen, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the gospel of Jesus offers salvation and righteousness. Just believe. The righteous live by faith. That's that's powerful. It's the power of God. And it's nothing to be ashamed of.